When I was a child, uh, we pretty much went to the same place, the same house, farmhouse, for our summer holidays for more than a decade. This was Abbasok in the Llyn Peninsula, and that uh, was Abbasok long, long before it became fashionable. In those days, it was an even longer drive from York than it is. My father, a bit of a nutcase, wanted us on the road at 4 a.m., so that we could beat the rush hour around Manchester. We were up well before dawn. I remember well that horrible half sleep you have when you know you have to wake really early. And then stumbling downstairs to find my father hiding the TV under the stairs, because clearly no one ever would ever think of looking there. And then screwing the French windows shut. And then packed tightly into our seats in the back with stuff all around us, we were on the road as soon as we could. It was up, and the rule was no breakfast until Betsy Coyd. That's about five hours away. It was all part of the anticipation, all part of the longing of going on our summer holiday, watching the sunrise, sitting in the middle at the back, watching the road, driving over the Pennines on the pretty spectacular M62. Our passage is all about longing. It's also about anticipation and waiting. Little, by, little bit like a bleary-eyed small boy who, yes, was looking forward to the beach, who, yes, was looking forward to the same bedroom he always stayed in, but right at that moment was looking even more forward for breakfast. Yes, it was a seriously fancy breakfast, but to a small hungry boy, the thing that dominated the most was that it was hundreds of miles away. That felt like an eternity away. First point from our passage. God has the biggest of big plans. God has the biggest of big plans. Paul says even our present sufferings, they're real, however terrible they are. Even the current situation of the world, however bleak. Even the climate crisis, however high and inevitable the way feels that it's about to break over us, none of that, Paul says, can outweigh what is to come. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The word translated worth there it has as its root meaning a, a verb meaning to weigh, to judge therefore what is worthy. Paul is weighing these two things in the scales, if you like. And he's insisting that all our present suffering, as much as it fills the horizon, as real as it is, he's insisting that all our present suffering won't even shift the needle on the scales. All of it, however bleak, won't shift the needle. For what is to come is so much better. God has the biggest of big plans. Remember, if you need to, that Paul is not someone who had a charmed life. He's not some a Marie Antoinette suggesting let them eat cake on hearing that the peasants have no bread. As he points out in 2 Corinthians 11, his life was a hard one. 
He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, this is 2 Corinthians 11, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And then verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. So Paul is not writing this as someone who doesn't know what it is to suffer. Paul knows what it is for life to be hard. And he will end his life as a martyr in Rome. So he's not saying what he says in verse 18 as someone who does not know the weight and the reality of suffering. Yet he still dares to insist that all of that suffering does not even shift the needle on the scales when compared with all that is to come. God has the biggest of big plans. What is to come is so much better. And Paul conveys his excitement about why this is so much better in verse 19 where he speaks about creation waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That has the sense almost of children straining on tiptoe to see something. Maybe it's something tasty on the kitchen work surface, perhaps. Craning their necks to see, or a a present hidden on the top of the wardrobe. Creation is like children straining on tiptoe to see this new thing, because it's so much better. Why is it so much better? Because it's an undoing. An undoing of everything that has caused what Paul calls literally the suffering of the now time. It's not just an undoing, it's also a restoration, a setting right of how things were intended to be. Why are things not as they should be? Because simply, Paul says, of human sinfulness. The story in Genesis 3 is of humanity being blessed beyond measure, given life given relationship, given close friendship with God, given a clear task, a significant task, and given everything to steward with just one restriction. That restriction is to not to choose to seek to become like God, not to choose to step beyond their given role. What comes when they do step beyond that is hiddenness. Adam and Eve are ashamed by their nakedness. They hide that from one another and they hide from God. So when he comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hide. And of course, then there's recrimination. Eve blames the serpent and Adam blames Eve and even God. I love that, Genesis 3.12. The woman you put here with me, God, well, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. If you hadn't given me a companion, none of this would have happened, Lord. There's hiddenness, there's blame. His broken relationships all flow from our sinfulness. And the consequence for creation is immense. They were placed in the garden to steward it. The consequence, verse 17 of Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Rather than blessed by our stewardship, the creation is cursed because of it. 
So when Paul speaks in verse 20 of creation being subjected to frustration and in verse 21 of its bondage to decay, he's speaking of the sin that humanity brought into the world and the harm and punishment that's flowed from that. Why is it so much better? For what God has done in Christ and what God will do in Christ will be an undoing, will be an undoing and a restoration, verse 21. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's one of those factory reset moments. You ever had that when you've been working on a computer where your computer's crashing a lot, the system, you know, software complex, conflicts and it just won't work at all and you have essentially after spending quite a long time on on uh, victim support i was going to say on support (laughs) to wipe and start again to reinstall the factory settings to reset things as they were intended to be and then to start again paul is insisting that the risen jesus will return And the scope of his victory would then be seen. Not just humanity, but creation itself will be restored in its relationship to God, will be restored in its right creative function. That's why it doesn't even shift the needle, present suffering. Because such, such is the glory to come. Uh, Gavin Reed, former Bishop of Maidstone, tells an amazing story of a boy in his congregation The boy had shattered his back falling down the stairs when he was one. And Gavin Reed was interviewing him in church and was shocked when the boy said, God is fair. So Reed stopped him and asked, how old are you? 17 came the reply. How many years have you spent in hospital? 13 came the answer. And at that moment, we're thinking of those scales. We're thinking, how can anything future possibly outweigh the present suffering of now? So Reed asked, do you think that's fair? But the boy replied, God's got all of eternity to make it up to me. Rightly understood, with the scope of all that's going to be undone, all that's going to be restored, It doesn't even shift the needle in the scales because we are going to know the freedom and glory of the children of God and the whole creation is going to know that. All of eternity to make it up to us. That is the biggest of all big plans. But right now, we're still waiting for breakfast. That's my second point that it is hard to live between the already and the not yet. It's hard. Verse 23 talks about us having the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Pentecost was the harvest festival at the beginning of the harvest festival, the harvest period. That was when people, God's people brought the very first produce from their fields, hence first fruits. It was God's people saying thank you with the very first produce for all the harvest that was yet to come. Likewise, the pouring of the Spirit on the church at Pentecost was also just the first fruits, just the first promise of all the whole harvest yet to come. So the first fruits of the Spirit are, if you like, the already 
the foretaste of all that was yet to come. The presence of the kingdom, yes, but not the presence of the kingdom in its fullness. What Paul's talking about when he writes of the freedom and glory of the children of God is, is that which is the not yet. It's the whole eventual harvest that's still to come. If you like, we lie between the beginning and the end of the harvest. We lie between Pentecost and Sukkot, between the beginning of the harvest and its end, between the already and the not yet. We've just got a foretaste, just the first fruits, enough to make us hungry, enough to make us long for all that is still to come, enough of the real thing to know the reality of what's to come. But honestly, I wonder if for many people in Israel, when they came to Pentecost, they were overshadowed because they knew the labor that was still to come. Even now, the period of the harvest is the hardest part, the hardest period of every year for a farmer. That's when the labor is always the most sustained and the most intense. And you're watching the skies anxiously in a way that's, that's the period in which we're living now. Paul describes it as the whole creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth, verse 22. This period between the already, when we've got the presence of the Spirit, when we're already uh, seeing and experiencing the kingdom, this period, period between the already and the not yet, when we will see the restoration of all things, when we will see the kingdom in its fullness, that period is a period of longing, anticipation, waiting of groaning as in childbirth, of labor as in the midst of the harvest. Paul uses the word groaning three times in the passage to capture the heavy, the intense longing we should experience, a longing that we know the freedom already, a longing that we would know sin and darkness and evil finally swept away, a longing that we would know God fully, even as we are fully known. As Paul writes in verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits, the already, the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. It's an intense longing. Why? Because we know it's coming. Because we have got a taste of the kingdom on our lips and in our hearts. Because we know what it's like to belong to God. And yet it is still not yet here in its fullness. We're still waiting for breakfast. Still longing, we're a foretaste on our lips, a foretaste of God's presence in our hearts. What we know now is wonderful, but we only see in part. Then we shall see fully. There is so much more to come. So how do we wait well between the times? Brings me to my third point. We need some help with the heavy lifting. Help with the heavy lifting. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Translated literally, this means something like the Spirit takes share in our weakness. The root meaning is to, to take hold at our side. As though we were trying to lift something like a massive kitchen appliance or a sofa and the spirit comes alongside us and helps us lift the spirit in other words is with us to help us do the heavy lifting the season between the already and the not yet 
the hardest harvest labour, where suffering is real and can be bitter. This season is not one in which we're abandoned. This season is one in which, because of the cross, because of the first fruits of Pentecost, this season is one in which we can know the Spirit's presence, that we can know the Spirit helping us do the heavy lifting. And that helps us to wait patiently, verse 25, even as we're groaning as in childbirth, waiting for it to come. Now, it's not that the Spirit does it for us. He's not like a butler or servant who does stuff for us, nor does he do stuff instead of us. Rather, the Spirit does stuff with us. He comes alongside to help us lift. He empowers us to do what needs to be done. A great writer captured this by writing, if you can imagine, spirit, a big S, and then a slash, and then a small s, and then the rest of the word spirit. To capture that sense of, of learning to work with the spirit in us. And honestly, sometimes it's difficult to tell which of the two Paul is talking about. And often the reality is that he might well mean both at the same time, that sense of the Spirit in our spirit working together. We remember, as verse 28 reminds us, that God is working for the good of those who love him. He's not just come in Jesus and going to return and we're just left to it. God is at work in us, through us, around us. But Paul wants us to understand more than this. He wants to understand that when we pray, the Spirit helps us to pray. When we're feeling the heaviness of this season, when it is hard to lift up our heads, the Spirit sustains us. He sustains us when we've gone beyond ourselves. He, he turns our longings into prayer when we can't do much more than groan, much more than lament, much more than cry out to God. He's saying that even in those times when you have not got the words, even in those times when you can't make sense of your feelings, you can't grasp what God wants or what God is doing, even in those times still, the Spirit helps us do the heavy lifting, that he's praying in us, with us and through us, somehow turning our longing into prayer. Verse 27, somehow turning it, our longing into prayer, that God hears and honours. He takes our groans and turns them into prayer if we can learn to work with him and welcome his presence. We are not left to our own devices between the already and the not yet. God is with us, sustaining us, empowering us, reminding us through the first fruits of the Spirit's presence that a different future is coming, that a restoration is coming, that the biggest of all big plans will be fulfilled, even if we cannot see it yet. So a passage is about the biggest of all big plans. It's about the hard times between the already and the not yet. And it's about help with the heavy lifting. What does this mean today? Well, first, don't let despair have the last word. Don't let despair have the last word. It's true that living between the already and the not yet is often hard. And in this season, this post-pandemic season, 
There's so much more anxiety around than there would normally be. And now we are confronted, it feels, every minute with the feeling that disaster is coming. It's easy to be overwhelmed by climate anxiety. But what we need to remember is that even the climate crisis is only part of the biggest of all big stories. And it's not even the main narrative. Restoration is coming. God has a plan that will dwarf even the misery of today. So it won't even shift the needle. The glorious freedom of the children of God is coming. Trouble with despair is it's self-fulfilling. It leads us and traps us in darkness. We should be those who know that God has a plan. We should be those who know that there is hope. We should be those that know that God is at work in the world. Despair leads to powerlessness, leads to us surrendering to the darkness. If you're in that place, cry out to the Spirit. Cry out to the Spirit who will turn your groans into prayer that will somehow lift you and honour God's love in your life. Second, let's embrace again our stewardship of creation. Not despairing doesn't mean not taking action. We can make better use of the resources that God has given us. We can shift our energy sources to become greedy. We can tread more lightly on the earth. We can make positive changes because we're honouring the Lord. Honouring the Lord who has given us stewardship of creation. We're honouring the Lord in the way that we live. Now they may not seem much, but if they are made to honour the Lord, they're part of our living sacrifice and we will know God's favour and pleasure. Does it matter as much as China shifting away from coal? No, it doesn't. But there are changes that we can make, changes that will honour the Lord of creation, and we will make them to please him, and to trust that like a kingdom offering, they can have an impact 30, 60, 100 times greater than what was sown. And third, pray for a fresh taste of the first fruits. Pray for a fresh taste of the first fruits. It's the Spirit's presence, his gifts, his strength, his peace, his coming alongside us, his praying in and through us, his sharing and the heavy lifting. It's the Spirit's presence we need above all else, above all else in such a difficult and dark season. It is hard living between the already and the not yet. And it's hard living after the pandemic with so much anxiety around about the climate. But God has not left us without comfort. God has not left us struggling without strength. God has not left us standing in the, in the face of the fiery blast without the spirit standing in its way. So pray, pray boldly. Pray persistently, pray confidently, pray with groans. Pray that once again, or maybe for the very first time, or pray that once again and more deeply, you will know the first fruits of the Spirit. They are given, given as a sign of the coming kingdom, and they are given to sustain us in that hard time between the already 
and the not yet. That's how God wants us to live. Let the Spirit share your load. Let him help you with the heavy lifting. And trust that, yes, at the end of the road, breakfast is coming. Thank you.